It's hard to find more fitting guests for the show than Andy Aversa and Andrew Lures. They're both longtime staff at OC Remix, game composers, and now game developers. We chat about how they got started in game development, the inner workings of Unity and pixel art, and their newest project, Flowstone Saga. I'm Brian Kelly, and thanks for joining us for an evening at the Roost. Impact Gameworks is a spinoff in the Impact Cinematic Universe of uh, Impact Soundworks, (laughs) which is my virtual instrument and music software company. But I always wanted to get into game development uh, for a long time. I Mm -hmm. I messed around a little bit when I was in middle school and high school. And then uh, I was part of a few teams writing music for games as a composer. Right. But... Uh, yeah, I just had these ideas bouncing around to make a uh, make a traditional roguelike in a fantasy setting. And so in 2016, I started working on that and reached out to Andrew O.A. Uh, to work on some art for that project. And I didn't really have any concept of where it was going to end up, but I was having fun mm-hmm. with it. And yeah, so from that point, uh, I have been mostly full time working on games now. So Tangle Deep was the big first project. And then that has been winding down as we sunset like DLC and patches. And then now we're working on a new project together. Actually, technically two projects, but one of them is the the majority time project. But yeah, so I went from musician to uh, game developer, uh, musician to software developer of music software to game developer. That's so interesting because your was your start in music um, video game remixes? Is that is that how you began? I guess technically I, I did take piano lessons as many kids do. And I, I played French <laughs> horn for two years in, in the school band. Right. They assigned us. But um, yeah, pretty pretty much what got me into actually producing and composing music was uh, Overclock Remix. I, I heard the stuff on there and my neighbor brought over some like really basic DJ mix kind of software. And uh, <laughs> that, that was the start of it. Yep. Yep. And when did you two first meet in Overclock Remix? When did the meeting of the Andrews happen? Oh, man. That was like, so you like Andy joined the OCR before I did. I think I joined in like early 2006 and he was kind of already wow. like established as one of like the big dudes there. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, and it took me a while. Like, like I had never done producing before. So like, you know, he was kind yeah. of like the, one of the guys that I looked up to like skill wise. I was like, all right, like, you know, like, this is like where I need to be like skill wise. And it took me, actually it took me a long time, but like we, uh, (laughs) you know, kind of talked a little bit. Eventually I got on staff as well. And we kind of just met and like started hanging out that way. Nice. Nice. And where did your start in doing art come from? Was that also game related or? Um, so when I started college, like one, um, one thing I decided to do was like, I'm going to learn to draw. And so like what yeah. I did and like the best way to do it is just to like do it. So I would, um, you know, like <laughs> do a drawing every day and usually be like yeah. an hour a day. But so like the practice added up, uh, I'd never really done like pixel art before. Um, yeah. I, I, I like messed with it a little bit, but like, it was like maybe a couple hours total. And then when wow. Andy's like, Hey man, like, can you do pixel art? And like, my response was, let's, let's find out. Like, um, and you know, like 
I think uh, in a lot of ways, Andy and I have a lot of similarities and that like, you know, we really want to like um, be the best version of ourselves and like really yeah. just like push ourselves. Um, yeah. And so I think there was some trust from him that I could, mm -hmm. you know, get like the quality that he needed. Um, and I think eventually by the time we released Tangle Deep, it was in a pretty good spot. But um, honestly, like now looking back, like there's very little I'm happy about. And like, just like the last couple of years of growth, um, I think yeah. like how we've been doing things now. Um, so kind of a roundabout way, but yeah, that's uh, basically like the art story. That's really cool though, that you were able to start your pixel art career as it were on a project. Like I know looking back on it, you're like, I could have done so much better, but that's, that's neat that basically your first project was a fully released game. I think a lot of people would take a lot longer to get into something like that. So that I mean, kind of trial by fire, at least. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, and a lot of it, like, and a lot of the stuff, like, you know, I had some drawing experience, so I kind of knew how to like make things look like they should. Um, but a lot of like the learning that came from it was like, how does it make sense in the context of like game assets that are like put back together? So pretty sweet. Yeah. What did you find? I'm always curious. Like, how did you find pixel art differed from other kinds of art you'd done before? Like, so it's both more forgiving and less forgiving um, in like the precision that's required. Um, so because it's so low resolution, like changing one, a single pixel can like drastically alter how things look. Um, but oftentimes because it's also low resolution, um, people are allowed to use more of their imagination to fill in the details. Yeah. Yes. Um, so if you have really good fundamentals, like the art is super attractive, even if it's like, yeah. you know, like really chunky um, and you can gr create really great moods with it very quickly yeah. um, without having to really, you know, detail every single piece of like, a, if, say you're designing a room, right? Like, you yeah. know, you can have like a few books scattered there and then like some plants and then as long as like the, like the whole composition, the room feels kind of cozy. It's a, right. it's a really good feeling for the player where you don't necessarily have to like, you know, like if like a like a triple A title, you know, there's gonna have to be like crazy lighting, and then like you know you have to have all these different individual details. So um, yeah, I think for us specifically, pixel art makes the best sense given like the size of budget, um, and like <laughs> and like the number of employees required. Um, you know, we have um, we actually have been slowly building a like a super good art team. Um, nice and. Um, we can get some like incredible results using pixel art um, just because we're able to add so many custom details in the amount of time that would normally take, you know, just like right. a couple of mock-ups. So it's, it's worked yeah. out really well for us. Yeah. That's awesome. Were you the only artist on Tangle Deep or were there other people on that one? Nope. There, uh, there was two of us. Um, I was focused specifically on, um, the backgrounds and so all right. of the environments um like the town um a lot mm -hmm. of the animations there and, the and then UI. we had um a yeah and ui as well thank you um and then like um we had uh Fervir was the monster and character and animation yeah. um of like effects artist so he's yeah it's actually funny with him because his situation was pretty much exactly the same as andrew's where he was kind of dabbling in pixel art but he had never worked on a, a game at all. And so he's just like, oh, well, wow. I, I saw his work uh, on TIG Source, I think, TIG Source. And I was like, hey, do you want to, you know, make some characters? And I, I, I like demoed a whole bunch of people and I paid them to do some sketches. And his was the best. And he's like, well, you know, I've never, like, he, he literally didn't have any 
previous game experience, but I could, I could tell like the personality that he was putting into the sprites was, was yeah. going to be special. Um, and so by the time we finished, he was like, I, I asked him if he wanted to work on, you know, Tangle Leap 2 and like, hey, do you want to keep working with us? And he said, you know what? I'm going to work on my own game now because <laughs> he felt like conf- <laughs> confident enough that he could then yeah. just do his own project, which I think is great. Right. Yeah. That is super cool. Like that's Tangle Deep is such an inspiring story because it sounds like everyone who went into it didn't have game experience, but I played <laughs> it uh, a few years back and it it feels like a really solid, polished game. I would not have guessed it was like basically game amateurs that made it what do you think like why do you think it was so good i guess like given you guys had no experience i had a good well there's kind of two two things from my perspective one was that i had a really good mentor uh jim shepherd who is also an indie game developer but he has a lot more experience uh, even back in 2016 he had already done he worked in like AAA. uh he actually he had worked on the precursor to several games that came out and uh, but like better versions of them that got scrapped and then replaced with something else, which mm, always sucks. Mm-hmm. But like his his uh, expertise, like he he would sit down with me and it, and tell me like, OK, here's how you should approach this problem. And he'd give me oh, the nice. tools. I'd still have to solve it. But uh, he did actually work on the game himself. Um, he contributed a lot of the writing, which was helpful, like giving more personality to the characters. And so he he was like really invaluable as a mentor. And then the other thing is, and, and I think Andrew would agree on this, part of what, part of making games is just sheer force of will. There's like all these little <laughs> things like coordinating with everybody on the project, like putting yep. in the extra hours after everybody's asleep and like yep. tweaking something to give it the right feel. And I think that's what kind of sets apart a game that's like a C plus versus one that Tangle Leap is maybe mm. like a, a B plus or an A minus, something like that. It's not right, perfect. But right. But it, it, it yeah. takes you have to have a certain amount of passion for something like this. If you, if you have like infinite money, then you don't need that much passion. <laughs> <laughs> money like replaces this, passion. Need, yeah. <laughs> you need somebody to, to tie it together. So that was me for Tangle Leap. And then for Flowstone yeah. Saga, which is uh, the, the next yes. major project, that's definitely Andrew because he's he's Ooh. coordinating more than I am. I'm mainly just programming on that with a little bit of design mixed in. Oh, cool. And are you working on Tangle Deep 2? Uh, most, mostly I've been like 95 percent, it, it's flowstone saga uh, the, okay. i've been working on art for tangle leap 2 so coordinating people creating like creatures and uh sprite effects and things because that stuff takes so long to do and it also i find it inspiring when i get good art yeah. because i'm not an artist at all i have no visual abilities but <laughs> i feel you like when you when you write it concept for a creature or something Mm -hmm. and then somebody draws it and it's and it's great and it matches what's in your head that inspires me to work on it more so when i when we do when my work does wind down on flowstone saga there might be like a little bit more content work to do on that tangle leap 2 will already have hopefully a lot of the art done and then we'll mainly need programming so we're trying to like distribute the work so there's no bottleneck basically yep yep all right and this is a great segue to our to our main attraction here andrew Why don't you go ahead and give us a quick rundown of what Flowstone Saga is all about?
Sure. So Flowstone Saga is a classic JRPG uh, with a twist. And what that twist is, is instead of the traditional turn-based or like active time battle system, it uses a falling block puzzle system. Um, so think like Dr. Mario or like Tetris or something. Um, but it doesn't stop there. There's a ton of customization. So there's um, different elements that you can infuse your pieces with. Um, there's all kinds of um, like monsters in addition to fighting them. Um, they'll like they'll do special attacks that not only do damage, uh, but they'll also mess with the board in some way. So they'll drop like a tile that as long as it's on the board, it keeps damaging you. Or if um, you know they'll shuffle your pieces around. Um, and then to also to help combat that is um, different perks and stuff. So as the player levels up, they can kind of customize their character and um, certain like play styles um, get certain you, like, so say for example, that uh, you're a player that just loves to um, hit huge combos all the time. Like there's mm -hmm. a way to kind of optimize your damage that way. Um, one thing that the player also has from the outset is the ability to customize their like piece loadout. So instead of just like the standard, like, um, like, pieces that you'd get say from tetris like right. they all have four blocks um we have you can get a like a two a two block piece uh like the, any sort of variation of three and then also like five and um embedded in the pieces themselves are these crystals that if you have them next to each other they'll um kind of multiply the damage done when they're cleared so the, the battle system actually is like like pretty pretty deep like um yeah. we've had a lot of playtesting and um a lot of really good players have found a lot of really creative and clever strategies um mm. that are all like like we have to do some tweaking obviously since it's still early but like there's many ways to play and be successful um and then um you know kind of wrapped around like a classic uh three act rpg story you know, a ton of characters. Uh, there's town building where you can, um, you know, upgrade your town and get, you know, like bonus, um, like items and perks and yep. stuff from there. Uh, really story focused. Uh, some beautiful animation, um, exploration, just like anything you think of a JRPG, <laughs> and then just like a brand new battle system. Minus minus the grinding. Uh, uh, we that was one thing. Like yes. you're researching, and I've played so many JRPGs, and I mean, I'm sure mm -hmm. Andrew has also, and. That's yep. yeah. when we looked at negative reviews of like, let's just go through the top 20 JRPGs on Steam. Like the number one yep. complaint people had is like too much grinding. So this yeah. is a game yeah. where there's an element of uh, like Andrew's describing with the with the battle system. It's not just a numbers game. It's not like, oh, I, my attack and HP is too low. So I, I have to grind. You can you can get around it with player skill. On the other hand, if you are not quite as skilled at the puzzle element or the timing element you have the option to like buy some items you know do a couple battles power up your character that kind of thing which i think is like a good spot to be in because that way it allows for people to blaze through if, they, if they're skilled enough or if they're doing like another yes. playthrough yeah absolutely yeah i played the um the build you have on your website earlier today and um I liked it. It just seemed to have a lot of little touches that made it a lot more playable than a lot of JRPGs, especially older ones like uh, just automatically healing between each fight and having if you die, giving you your items back, little things like that that just made it um, 
much less of a slog to play than I typically see in JRPGs. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, both both Andy and I are parents, and so time is kind of mm, at a premium. So totally. we kind of came into with the 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 mindset of respecting the player's time. Yeah. And so making sure that like you know if there's gonna be some battles and like you know opportunity for players to you know express skill, but it's like it really it's should be a streamlined experience. Um, and so instead of having you know, um, we, we have some big dungeons planned, but it's more like the Chrono Trigger style, where it's like um, when you'll see, like the monsters will be appearing, and there'll be specific spots where you yes. fight rather than so much better. Than, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think so too, for sure. And that's um, and um, and and just to make it so, you know, we're aiming. It's a pretty full length RPG, but we're trying to aim for like maybe like twenty to twenty five hours. Yeah. Um, for completion, just um, and just basically cut out all the fat. Like there's mm-hmm. no there's no bad parts. We want to make sure that it's like just really like filled with like fun, interesting things to do yeah. and like good characters and anything that's like we don't want like a hundred hours to be like <laughs> like one of the bullet points in the back of the box. Yes, like you know, it should be a game that you have fun with, and there should be some there'll be some stuff for people to keep playing after right. the fact. But um, that's, you know, it's not, we're not looking to maximize time spent doing all these inane, like, fetch quests that you don't actually enjoy doing, but you feel compelled to. I know. It's like game length. It's so interesting to see that change over time. Because like you said, a lot of people who grew up playing games are a lot busier than they were when they were teenagers um, or kids. And on top of that, like, there are just so many games now that back in the day, if you bought one game with, you know, $60, you wanted to make sure you were getting tons and tons of hours out of it but now steam is like full of games you could pay for ten dollars fifteen dollars and we don't really need all of them to be 60 hours right yeah yeah i mean like and my backlog is like filled with games that i'll never probably play just because they're i have to retire (laughs) yeah exactly so i much prefer that a game just gives you however much time you need to really get the most out of whatever the core system is and in this case it sounds like it's really built around that battle system and that's i'm curious where where did the idea for this game come from? The initial seed was I was I had some spare time. I was doing some pixel art like after the release of Tangle Deep, just a bit fun, and it was like a little side view town scene. I'm like, you know, this would be fun if we could like upgrade towns. Maybe I'll make a game. And like, you know, I've always loved RPGs, and I've always been a big puzzle fan. And I'm like, you know, Undertale like had like a really cool like battle system where mm-hmm. it was like not what you would expect from a classic jrpg even though most of the game if you like if you asked someone what undertale was they'd say you know it's not a jrpg but it has like like all these choices and like like the battle system is like a bullet hell and so it's like well what, what kind of games do i really enjoy um because you know i don't want to do a regular rpg because i'm just kind of done with turn-based stuff yeah um you know i mean i'm like i'm 41 like you know i've I played <laughs> i played this most of my life and yeah. i think i'm probably good um it was like but i really love puzzle games where you can like express skill and so i started thinking about like hearthstone so basically i'm yeah. just kind of like like buzzwording a bunch of games here yep, yep. that like turned into like a soup because like hearthstone you know you can customize your deck and but there's no right. like there's no like um but there's no like real campaign mode where there's all these stories and stuff mm-hmm. so it's like okay that's cool but like what about like adding in like like dr mario or like tetris or like falling block like puzzle fighter that sort of thing right um and so it's just it kind of grew like yeah 
like in, it turned like the soup was one ingredient was added at a time and it started out with like the rpg shell and then um you know as different components were added it kind of became its own thing right right and so when did you approach um andy about it was it starting as a solo project or did it was it immediately part of impact uh, it started as a solo project and I was like, Hey, you know, can we talk business for a second? You know, how much would <laughs> I have to pay a developer to, to make this? And I don't know how to like, what was your thought process here, Andy? I, I seem to remember just being like, Oh, this, this looks cool and interesting. Like, yeah, let me, I'll, I'll be on board once, uh, once Tangle Deep is mostly wrapped up. Cause I start I started focusing, mm-hmm. focusing on it after the second Tangle Deep DLC pretty much, because at that point I felt like most of the value I could get in terms of like hours spent to to return was it's pretty much maxed out after two dlc expansions so i was like hey this seems fun yep it's totally different what i liked was that it's totally different from a turn-based roguelike there's very little similarity yeah. in the kind of coding needed um and mm-hmm. the fun i mean so it, there's 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 both fun and frustrating things when you're in that position and i went <laughs> through the same exact thing with tangle leap where you'll encounter problems that you haven't seen before and it feels so right. good when you solve them, like you're trying to figure out yes. uh, the best, like the movement on the overworld map took a while to, to like mm. get that feeling good and get collisions working properly. But I feel like it's pretty good. Now. Right. Um, but then when you when you can't figure out, you just feel so stupid. <laughs> but I have to, you have to remember, I guess one has to remind themselves that if it's your first time doing it, it's like if you were a, yeah. you know, an EDM artist and somebody asks you to write, you know, an orchestral score. So yeah, some right. of the skills transfer, but but you have to cut yourself a little slack to to learn some of the other things. Right, right. And were they both made in Unity? Yeah, we're working with Unity. Um, it's it's a really really good platform. It, it gets maligned mm-hmm. a little bit by some people in the mm. public that that don't quite. It's because it it's the most popular game making platform. So naturally, they will also have the most bad games <laughs> because <laughs> there's the most people. It's like the NES right. had all these crappy yeah. games, but it also had some, some really good ones. Uh, right, the low barrier to entry, right? Yeah, so it, it's been serving us pretty well, and it also mm-hmm. um, it allows for collaboration pretty easily. Like, uh, I mean, there's, there's things that we're always trying to do from a workflow perspective to make things easier, but, um, you know, like the somebody that's working on audio can just go in and add sound effects pretty easily um oa can be putting in new sprites and like new prefabs like they're called like different sets of animations and things mm-hmm. without needing to code so it definitely has a, a pretty good balance i think of uh easy to use it works for multiple platforms like mac pc linux switch uh so i mean we're we're i'd, I'd say switching to anything else would be just like kill the game at this point because we we know it yeah <laughs> there'd have to be an insanely good reason yeah like if like I, I and I can't think of if, one. Like, if yeah. Epic, if Epic came to us and was like, "Make this an Epic exclusive with Unreal, and here's ten million dollars." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, 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 you know, there's a pri- there's a price, and then what we'd probably do is have to like find someone that knew <laughs> how to do it, else. pay them to do it, <laughs> give them but, two like, million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> right. But yeah, so uh, yeah, no, I, I'm like, and especially as I've learned, like, you know, more about like a lot of the stuff in Unity. You know, I'm right. Like, able to do a bunch of cool things in there and not just be like you know like like for flowstone at least like the art and music guy you know now i can be you mm-hmm. know i can do a lot of pm stuff i can yeah. um you know get assets prepped i can help like debug sometimes <laughs> so no, it's yep. been it's been good I'm, I'm happy with unity that's cool that's cool is it like how does unity handle the 
multiple people accessing the same project file. This is getting in the weeds, but that's something I'm always curious about when I'm working on a project. Like, can people be in there at the same time or how does that? Yeah, well, technically it uses something that, uh, like a source control, which is something that is mm. similar to like Git if you're in the software development world or like Perforce right. or things like that. So somebody can be working on a file. It'll actually show a little icon if somebody else is making changes to that file when when you mm. click on it. So it's like, right. you might want to think twice about editing it. And basically, if there's any, <laughs> it handles changed files pretty gracefully when you're up. Like two people can be working on the game at the same time. And if they're not touching the same files, it will merge that stuff. No problem. It only becomes a problem when you when both people have made conflicting changes to the same file. And with that, right. uh, I, I've. I've gotten used to dealing, cleaning up that kind of thing on the on the code side with art and like tile maps and things like that. Usually, for example, if I was going in and editing something like oh, I'm going to change this tile, I will 99% of the time just be, take uh, Andrew's changes <laughs> because whatever I did, I is probably not good. <laughs> um, and because I'm the only yep. programmer, I don't really have to worry so much about those. The, the code merges, I guess, or code. Conflicts. Right. So it's more just if I had to go in and make like a temporary asset or something, I'll let that be mm-hmm. overridden, no problem. So it, it hasn't caused too many problems. Once in a while, there's like a hiccup where we have to, you know, like delete delete your local copy and re-download, which ha- happens to everybody. There's even an XKCD about that. <laughs> like, how do you use Git? Like, I don't know. Just uh, when there's a conflict, just delete, save your files, delete everything, and then do it again. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally the advice that you get. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So what this will be for each of you, what has been your favorite part of game development so far, starting with uh, you, Andrew? Uh, For me, I think that just kind of seeing things come to life, you know, I really enjoyed Mm -hmm. um, Tangle Deep and like, you know, kind of like, you know, bringing Andy's vision to life. And Mm -hmm. here is this kind of like, this is sort of like my own like remix of like the (laughs) Tangle Deep lore in some way. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. You know, because it's because it's it, it's it's sort of like you know in a Zelda game like there's always a Zelda and there's always a Link yeah. and a Ganon but it's always like a different it's sort of like that That's here cool. where there's a Mirai and then there's similar characters but this is like maybe like an alternate universe kind of thing um so there's plenty of like references and callbacks and um stuff like that that's um that Tangle Deep fans will appreciate but it's like um it's just a different setting and like there's you know some like new like kind of like different cultures and stuff that we've kind of added on like the surface world so it's uh um it just feels different and then um i think for me like being able to like um you know kind of compose a bunch of music and kind of go all out with like you know hiring a bunch of musicians to record it and like um that sort of thing has been something that i've always wanted to do and never had a good excuse and this is like a pretty strong excuse to do it (laughs) Yes, I I have when I heard the um the battle theme that happened in the ruins um I was like okay this has to be an OA track Yeah. Oh, he's the composer. Yeah. I'm, I'm not doing any of the music so far. 
because <laughs> I just heard that song and I'm like, this just has you written all the energy, the guitars. It was, it's such a fun track. Cool, thank you. Yeah, no, that's, that definitely is like like my signature sound. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So, Andy, what about you? What's been your favorite part of this whole game development world? I think with with Tangle Deep, the the big satisfaction and reward was was literally like when I first could plug in a USB controller and like move a character around the screen and use abilities and like see numbers pop up. That was like, wow, I'm actually creating a game because I'd wanted to do something like that for so long from like not just designing, but actually programming it. Um, The closest I ever came was doing things in like basic and uh, on IRC, like IRC bots. And it's just not the same thing when you, when you have like a character and you're controlling with a real grown up controller. Right. Uh, But so after that kind of now that that's settled in the like, okay, (laughs) I can make a game. I can like make it an executable and like get it on the switch or on a phone. Um, the, The other things that are satisfying. One is, is the like the problem solving when you solve a difficult problem or you come up with just like a really elegant way to do something that is you know flexible but probably the the biggest uh thing now is uh seeing like players that are really into what you're doing um obviously tangle leap has more players than flowstone so far because it's it, it's actually out but uh like there are people that have put in literally like eight or nine hundred hours and they're on disc they uh, over the years they've been on discord like talking about strategies, sharing screenshots, like digging into the the resource files and the code and like pulling up <laughs> stuff. And I just I love that. Yeah. I love that somebody is can be invested and have that much fun. And we are seeing there is like a small but dedicated crowd of people on the Tangle Leap server that's enjoying Flowstone Saga as well. And they're like playing the builds. Mm-hmm. They're giving feedback. Yeah. And I think that's that's helped drive a lot of the positive changes that we've that we've made over the last year or so it's yeah definitely yeah that reminded me um super giant games who made hades talked a lot about because hades was um an early access game for like a couple years i think and that was crucial to their whole development of it was just constantly getting that player feedback in and making tweaks from it um and was tangle deep early access i forget yeah it was early access from uh, it was like June or so, 2017 to February mm-hmm. 2018. And I, I would definitely okay. agree. Like it, you really can't for multiple reasons. It's not a good idea to make a game in a vacuum, even if you have like mm-hmm. the, a small group of people testing it because um, you, right. can, you can lose perspective for for different aspects of it. And then also just you need the diversity of opinions. You need like fresh people looking at it with fresh eyes from uh, different that have like different player profiles or personas, I right. think is what the UI people use, right? Uh, <laughs> yep. Like personas. <laughs> I, I, I create. I, I've cr- I created uh, some uh, some personas for uh, for uh, Flowstone and and for Tangle Deep too as well. So like uh, definitely like taking a UX approach to making sure that you know it's like player focused. So what are personas exactly? So a persona is like in the UX um, world mm-hmm. when you have it's basically like a prospective user and kind of like the story behind them. Okay. So and I, I can give you like a little bit of like insight to like the Flowstone saga. So I sure. think there's like uh, the three main personas we've created um, uh, is so there's uh, and we give you give them like whatever funny names you want. So sure. uh, the the persona. Um, 
we have um, for that is like really wants to show off how good they are is um, their name is Shara based on like the villain of Tangle Deep. Yeah. Um, and so like what a Shara is looking to do is um, find really creative ways to break and dominate the game. Like they mm. want to like they want to be like the best player at this game. Um they yep. want to, and then they want to do it in a really flashy way. So yep. um, making sure that what they're looking for is something that they can find. So like, there's definitely some like, you know, like some overpowered builds and like mm-hmm. certain ways that you can like, just like blow the game apart. Um, right. And we've seen that a few times and it's actually like, as a, like a game designer, uh, super gratifying to see like a player just like wreck your yep. game. Um, and then, um, there's a few other smaller parts, but that's like the main component of Ashara. Um, the, uh, another persona uh, is, uh, Julie, which is my mom's name. And it's basically (laughs) like a casual gamer that will see it and be like, Hey, I could do that. Like, that seems, that looks looks fun. I'll try it out. And so it needs to be like, like for someone like Julie, it'd be like immediately approachable, like really charming and fun, which is kind of like sort of like the Tangle Deep brand, I think, anyways. It's like, um, and then make sure that you can get something done in like a 20-minute window. So yeah. you can, you know, jump in, you know, have a fun time, and then you can kind of get on with your day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third um, is uh, our good friend Naruto, who is like a, a JRPG fan. <laughs> yeah. Who just, uh, like really loves like the, the aesthetic and like music um, and like settings and like kind of lore of... Um, of role-playing games uh you know possibly the type of um the type of person that would you know want to do some fan art or like cosplay (laughs) or something yeah and so making sure that we have really compelling and fun characters um and like a cool setting is something that they'd be looking for so that's kind of um and so when you have these different personas um when you're creating new features or you know you know, investing time into something, yeah. you always have to think of like, who is this for? Because right. every feature, every feature doesn't have to be something that all players want, but it has to be something that one of those players is going to love. Yeah. Cause when I hear you describing that, it seems as important the personas you don't pick because you can't please everyone. So it seems yep. like it's also really right. important to be like, yeah, we're not pleasing people who want a first-person shooter fast-paced combat. That's that's not going to be in here. And you see some games kind of stumble right. by trying to please everyone all the time. Yeah, although, you know, just give us give us a couple more years and we'll do the Flowstone, um, <laughs> you know, we'll do the Flowstone Battle Royale. Arena shooter. We'll whatever's like the new hotness. <laughs> you know, I, I think um, it's interesting the, as Steam has developed and now that making like making games now is almost entirely sorry discovering games is like very algorithm driven now unless you're at that very top echelon of AAA and you can yeah. afford the money to you know have a giant booth at uh, E3 or whatever mm. so for like mm-hmm. all the other peons it's very algorithm driven like how do you get steam to show people your game and yep. the the strategy that is effective that that I've kind of learned and read about over the last few years is you want to like there's there is already a group of people that is like looking for games like yours. And it's the idea is just reaching those people and no mm. one else for, for the same reason, because Steam is going to penalize you if you have like a misleading like if we had like a scantily clad anime girl right on the art. Are you and then, sure? 
Because I've seen a lot of those around. Is Steam penalizing those? No, but what I mean uh, is it would be if they if they click on it and it's not what they're expecting it. If they're uh, like, oh, wait a second, this is gotcha. like a, a puzzle JRPG. Like, where, where are the anime ladies? Like, that I, don't, makes I don't see right. that. Okay. And on the other yeah. hand, if you're trying to, it's it's like, okay, if you present your game as like cute and charming, but it's mm-hmm. really gruelingly difficult, people are going right, to bounce and they're going right. to leave negative reviews. But that's why, like, I see. Tangle Deep... I struggled a little bit with the balance aspect because some, there were definitely people that came in that were hardcore roguelike experts that were like, this game is too easy. Mm. And then there yep. were also casual people that were coming in and saying, this is just unfairly difficult. And so I may have <laughs> failed a little bit in sort of the initial balancing on release of the game where it was probably a little on the hard side and it probably should right. have had a little bit more on the like onboarding people that were not familiar with the genre which yeah. is something like the mystery dungeon games like chocobo's mystery dungeon same kind mm-hmm. of game but it it really like holds your hand because they're expecting that you haven't played a game like that before so that's the kind of stuff that we are trying to keep in mind with this game like okay now i know how how this how this thing works so we need to make sure that when person sees the art and they're like oh cool this looks like an anime inspired jrpg to give them what they expect basically <laughs> absolutely yeah so with tangle deep like how did you go about getting getting the word out for that game as a first game from a new studio i imagine that was probably one of the big challenges yeah the so so there, there's a concept with steam somebody referred to it as rocket fuel where it's like if you can just create a little bit of a spark Steam will like pour fuel onto it and ignite <laughs> it as long as the game is good. So the the spark for me, some of it came from me reaching out to my own circle of friends and people that knew me for my music. And I was like, hey, I'm working on a game, like come check out the Kickstarter. And so that was, you know, in the hundreds of people, like not a massive crowd. We've sold over 100,000 copies now of Tangle Deep across all platforms. Um, so obviously that was not everybody. But if you have that <laughs> small group, uh, then I, I took that and then I started posting on like some roguelike communities and forums, got a few more mm-hmm. people that way and kept fostering the like the hype uh, during development yeah. by releasing public builds, doing early access yep. um, and then on release doing the stand. The, the release is basically like the standard stuff that you would do for any kind of new product like press releases get in touch with streamers and um you know youtube uh creators and so but all those things is like if you looked at the numbers there was no tangly video getting millions of views or i think maybe one of them got like a hundred thousand but like clearly that was not everybody but that's enough that when steam Mm -hmm. had that initial like surge of maybe it was like a thousand people let's say day one steam was like okay i'm gonna put this on the top new and trending and then like there's the big crowd. Then they all come in and yeah. look at it. So that's kind of like yep. the secret is that you you really need to you you need, need to do your own initial work. But it's so yep. it's okay even if you're not reaching millions of people early on because like Steam yeah. is going to take care of it if you've set things up right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. It reminds me of what I've heard people say about like YouTube algorithms yep. as well. It's <laughs> like you just want to catch their attention enough that they they think, oh, we can make this bigger and then and then let them take it from there. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of I've I've seen this now on multiple platforms. There's YouTube for sure. Like my uh, my wife, Jill, is a vocalist and she does uh, game music arrangements and uh, music videos. And she has a video that has been 
it came out like seven years ago and it's accelerating right. in views. It was never promoted. Huh. Like she didn't send press releases about it, but it's actually getting more than yeah. it ever has before. And it's for the same kind of reason. YouTube's like, oh, people like this. I'm going to show it to more people. Those people yeah. like it. I'm going to show it to more people. So now that has like four million views and her average videos wow. might be like 50 to 100,000. So and then Spotify is <laughs> the same way. Like I have some singles on Spotify that are like over a million and then I have tracks wow. that are 10,000. So <laughs> it's uh, we're beholden yeah. to the algorithms for sure, which is it's both so good weird. And bad. Yeah, it reminds me of like, you know, ancient societies giving sacrifices at their temple. We we're basically <laughs> doing that to our Internet gods here. Just like, please notice us. <laughs> yeah, we must but... do our arcane rituals to get your attention. Yeah, pretty much exactly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So what's the plan for um, Flowstone Saga then? Like, do you guys have a release date aimed? Do you have a lot of progress done or what's the plan with it? So progress wise, I, I think progress got, actually got set back a little bit. Mm. So um, based on and it goes back to a lot of the early access stuff. And so um, probably about six or seven months ago. Yeah. Um, we were getting a lot of feedback about like um so previous like and you play the like the version now yeah. after like the next like so basically seven months ago there was no top down view at all oh wow like, there was no explore there was no exploration it was kind of like um think of it like like there was like the the world map and each node on the map was almost like a checklist like here there's four battles and then a boss fight and then here's like some ruins to do and so like we were really missing um with like the like it didn't feel like it had like the rpg soul it needed right um and we were getting a lot of feedback about that and we're like well you know what do we do do we just like and i mean and you know in hindsight of course like it's like a really obvious answer is like you know make it more like an rpg um yep but we had to i mean basically it took us you know six months of redoing work and it's you know really painful to like oh man you know like flushing thousand plus hours but like thankfully you know like um you know we have like we're in the position where like we don't currently have a publisher that is like demanding deadlines um and you know i'm for the last several years on this you know i've been working 70 hours a week you know like 40 at the day job and 30 Oof. on this so it's like um it's not like the end of the world especially when we want to make a game that's really good yeah but like definitely like um where we're at right now is We've got pretty much all of the base um, base mechanics are pretty set. There'll be some fine tuning and tweaking, and like additional perks, and basically just more yeah, um, yeah. on that end. Um, we will need to redo the UI. Um, there's a lot of different elements that I think um, we'll need to have custom solutions. Um, the entire story is written and then like put in a in the correct format for spreadsheets and then like for localization and different like translations right. and stuff. Right. Um, we have a bunch of cutscenes created. Um, and then um, basically right now it's like we just need content. So uh, custom animations for all the story stuff, um, tile sets and backgrounds. Um, I think like half of the soundtrack is mixed and mastered. Half of it is not. <laughs> uh, and then the, er, like every, like here and there, like, yeah. um, you know, it's like, okay, I need a different song for this. So let's create yep. it. Um, and then like, probably like, just like multiple, like polish um, passes. Yeah. Right. Probably April of this year. I, I think by April, there's a, 
pretty good chance we'll have a, a Kickstarter again. We had started one before. Yeah. That's when we got yeah. the feedback that Andrew was talking about, like people that were coming in and they were like, we want more RPG stuff. And so we've like added so much since then, like completely redid the intro story, like all the overworld stuff, all the perks and powers, all that stuff. So April's probably realistic for that. And at that point, you should be able to expect to play for like a couple hours and get a couple hours of like gameplay and story um, within the first yep. act of the game. Um, it's yeah. I think we should definitely be able to at least get into early access sometime this year. I, I think that should be doable yes. um, in early access. Like you want to be in a spot where there's no glaring emissions like it, it can't be like crashing yeah. every now and again. It can't be like, oh, you open a menu and there's just like uh, like, oh, you can't equip items yet. Like, sorry, we don't we don't have right. no, like you need to have the basic right. stuff. It's OK if the story isn't totally done. Um, mm -hmm. it, but you know, what we'll probably do, we had played around a little bit with this is have once the player completes the story so far, we'll open up some just like kind of like a sandbox so they can do like a yeah. Coliseum, you know, just do battles for fun and kind of test out right. builds. So that's a good I, idea. Yeah. I think next year is probably realistic for the full release of the game. Um, mm -hmm, and between between now yeah. and then, we'll probably be talking to some publishers because we've actually already had some interest. We haven't signed anything and we haven't made like a formal pitch. But but because of the success of Tangled Deep, um, it like got more eyes on us, basically. And so it's, cool. it is a good position to be in where we've we've both had. Yeah, we're not relying on this this specific project to like pay our rent and our, our mortgage yeah. and whatnot we can yeah we have the income from tangle leap and then we have income for our day jobs <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah somehow we also have day jobs which is crazy. <laughs> yep. yeah, yeah that that blows my mind but i mean again like you said it's that uh work ethic that makes these games yeah uh, it yeah out and, anyway. I, and i and i and I think we want to be smart about it too. You know, we both have families. We want to make sure that they're provided for. Totally. And, um, and you hear all like you like you hear always hear about these like you hear both like horror stories and like these insane success stories of people mm -hmm. like mortgaging their house to pay for their game. Oh man! And like and it pays off, but usually it doesn't. Like yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah yeah. And it also I find creative projects have a lot more freedom to them when they are not beholden to your baseline money. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're you're not forced to make a bunch of compromises just to get just to get money in the door. So um, I think that w in terms of a publisher relationship, it's the same kind of thing as working with a, a record label as a musician. You want to be in a position where mm -hmm. you have leverage, like like yeah. I can finish yeah. and release this game without you. So what can totally. you do for me, kind of thing? Like you don't want to be right. like <laughs> this project will fall apart unless I get help because then that gives them leverage over you, which does not right. always end well in the favor of creators basically <laughs> right and I, I, I and i mean we still publish tangle deep and i think like self-publishing with ridiculous sales like i would at this point i think i would call tangle deep a a small hit oh yeah yeah you know it, it, um you know it's more than just you know able to turn a profit and like keep the like you know mm -hmm. like the impact game where lights on like it you know it's a like a pretty well acclaimed game yeah that um you know, did a lot of great things, totally. right? And being able to say, you know, like we had plenty of success self-publishing um, previously and mm -hmm. we can potentially do it again. So like just finding a good partner too, yeah. you know? And yeah. if it doesn't work out, then we, uh, I, I'm confident that we'd be able to make the game a success publishing in our own right. as well. 
But Epic, if you have those $10 million, <laughs> if you're, you're listening, ready for you. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's let's close things out here by going back to the soundtrack for a bit. I'm just curious, since this is primarily a music show, um, I sure. suppose people are probably curious. Um, what like was your vision for the soundtrack and who all have you been working with so far? So the overall theme for the soundtrack is like a traditional Japanese style fantasy RPG mood with a lot of additional guitars and I use a lot of actual like drum and bass type stuff just to kind of try to keep it a little bit fresh I think more like like Final Fantasy meets like some of the Falcom titles like Trails of Cold Steel or like Ease that uh, can be a little bit more guitar heavy I am trying to make sure there's a lot of good moods in there uh, so if, you know more serene um, like piano plus soloist pieces and then huge um, you know battle themes and stuff with you know, orchestra plus rock, uh, some EDM as appropriate, and just, you know, try to get a good variety. So for collaborating, uh, I've got a lot of uh, instrumentalists um, and musicians helping out. Um, I think my main collaborator is Nabil Ansari, who is not only doing all the mixing and mastering of like the final pieces, uh, but they're also helping with additional arrangement. Um, and you know, kind of sounding board, you know, we'll like chat about tracks and they'll be like, hey, use this chord, try it out, see what you think. You know, it kind of enhances the mood more. Uh, and just little things like that have been really awesome. Uh, not only helped me like point out blind spots in my own composition, um, but just, you know, trying to just serve the, like the end result uh, much better. Um, we've got some awesome woodwinds um, from Kristen Nigus and Laura Intravia. Uh, have been really um, just sending a lot of great stuff in. Um, John Stacy has been recording brass, and he just sends me stacks of like huge sounding brass. It's fantastic. Uh, Michaela Nachtengal, uh has done viola and violin, um, and then um, some other in- individual. Um, uh, I've got some saxophone by Brad Burr. Uh, Alyssa Menes has done some guitar um, acoustic stuff. And then um, some fantastic uh, percussion work uh, by Doug Perry, like both hand percussion. uh, And also he did a really great um, arrangement. Um, I asked him if he would just take the town theme and do his own rendition arrangement on mallets. And it sounds super good. It's like the nighttime version, if you can kind of already picture it. Um, And then of course, like from like what I've done, I've recorded the um, all the electric and nylon string guitar, um, bass, piano some saxophone as well so it's um a pretty uh great group uh and it worked out really well just um you know how uh awesome everyone is Well, I think that's a great note to, to end things on here. Thanks so much, both of you, for, for coming on the show and talking. This this sounds like an awesome project. I'm looking forward to this. Thanks, Brian. It's been great. Yeah, thank you. 